Turn our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we look to these verses. Might you receive all glory and that you'd edify your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Standing. So here in chapter 13, we have two beasts that we will be looking at in this chapter. Uh, this week, we look at what I'm calling the beast of profanity. And then next week, or not next week, because we'll be in a, a family conference, but the week after, Lord willing, we'll be looking from verse 11 through verse 18 at the beast of, uh, of uh, paganism. This is the false prophet, this is the second beast. And so tonight, this beast of profanity here, uh, there's some things here, basically, we just want to uh, get a little bit of an understanding of all the imagery that's going on here, and then try to make some application for us today, even though this is something that we're not even going to have a part with in the future, amen, praise the Lord for that. But we look at the image that we see here uh, that uh, John is seeing as he stands here. Now he says, I stand upon uh, the sand of the sea. I stood upon the sand of the sea. Now, uh, we know that there are a lot of things, and this is, uh, again, why you have to take everything you read that's not from the Bible with a grain of salt. Amen? Uh, There's uh, so much different things that people want to say about uh, these verses when it says they stood upon the sand of the sea, there's a lot of people saying, well, he, he was sent back to Patmos at that time. He's, he's there on the seashores of Patmos. And 
Uh, well, we haven't seen anywhere where he left back. He's still risen up into the third heaven. He's still seeing things going on there. It's all futuristic stuff that he's seeing. So this is, uh, again, as he's standing here on this, he, whether he's actually standing in some sand that God just has there for him to be able to see this, or it's just part of the vision that he's standing on this seaside as this beast comes out of the, of the waters as neither here nor there. But just what I'm trying to say is take every Everything you read that's not in the Bible from other people with a grain of salt. Amen. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority." Now, right off the bat, as we look at these two verses, we, we might be having some memory being jogged in the back of our head about some things that are very similar to this. And that would take us back to Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7, where we see some things very similar. If you'll turn there, keep your finger in Revelation. We'll kind of flip back and forth a few times tonight between these uh, areas, Daniel chapter uh, 7 mainly, but uh, go ahead to Daniel chapter 2, first of all. And uh, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, when you get there towards the end of the chapter, we know this is the chapter where the king has seen the image uh, of that great image of a man that had the different uh, metals that made up his body. And uh, D Daniel gives him the interpretation of that. This image's head was of fine gold and uh, breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass and so forth. That goes down through there. But chapter 7 primarily is where we see the things that we've just read about in Revelation. Uh, we see here in chapter 3, uh, in verse, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in three. I need to be in seven. Excuse me. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, uh, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw my vision by night. And behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. We'll pause in each one of these. Now, when Daniel's vision is not the vision of Revelation 13, I want to make that clear. It's very similar and we can draw some things from it to help understand the vision of John. But Daniel's vision was concerning things that uh, were, were actually happening uh, in his lifetime and would continue happening uh, for quite a few years in the nation of Israel. This lion with eagle's wings represents Babylon. Now, most of us have seen the imagery of the gates of Babylon and such. And what was the image that you see most of the time? A lion with wings. Amen. And, uh, and so this is, uh, this is talking about Babylon. And we know that Babylon, though they were a great and fierce nation for a while, there came a time where they lost that. They kind of lost the heart 
of the lion, you might say. And they became fearful men. Uh, we see that with uh, uh, Belteshazzar when, uh, when, he, when the image comes up and the finger writing on the wall and his knees start to shake and his loins loose and he wets himself. Amen. I mean, he literally, uh, uh, he, he just freaked out, you might say. Uh, there was no strength in his heart to, uh, for what was going on. And we see that they were easily overtaken by the Medes and the Persians. And so that's a prophecy concerning that. Verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear. And it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said, Thus unto it arise, devour much flesh. We see this is the, uh, uh, the uh, nation of Persia, the Medes and the Persians here. And the, the, the bear and the, uh, the likeness of the Persian uh, people and uh, how ferocious they were and how they did devour many nations and people. But uh, they, in that, the, the, the bones in between the teeth, uh, there's multiple things that we could say about that. But uh, one of the things is just that I, I believe when it comes to devouring nations, you're going to get some toothaches, amen? I mean, people think that, uh, that, that conquering nations is a great, wonderful thing, and, but there's problems that come with that. And here we find these bones stuck in the teeth. Can you imagine having bones stuck in your teeth? They, they, there's a lot of things people say about this, but I don't think I've ever read anybody mention that this could be a sign of the, the painfulness of conquering much land. And we see in the Medes and the Persians that it did get to a place where they were overextended, amen? They had conquered much, but were overextended. And so they, they, this uh, uh, prophecy concerning them, and of course that had to do with the nation of Israel. They would go into further bondage under them. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. This is speaking of Greece under Alexander the Great, and uh, we see that the four heads of this beast are concerning the four generals that took over after Alexander died, and the uh, Grecian Empire became four separate empires. And so uh, just another uh, prophecy concerning things, again, of the, that would be uh, have to do with the Jewish nation. All this is having to do with the Jewish nation. Now, verse 7 gets us even closer, I believe, to what we're seeing in verse thir or Romans 13, or Revelation 13, excuse me. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, in this, I believe, though there, there's other people that have different thoughts, I believe this is speaking primarily of Rome. And their part in, the, in, in conquest and in control of the nation of Israel for a time. But one of the things that I say it's Rome, even though many people have different ideas... And when it talks about the great iron teeth, though, there's a lot of nations that were uh, coming up and being very great during the Iron Age. Uh, they say that the Roman Empire was the empire that took iron and really uh, made it what it needed to be to, to be uh, uh, useful in conquering the world. They, of course, as we know, conquered the known world and, and had their uh, hands in every place around the world. And that, But in this... Uh, we find that it was, it was a different beast, diverse from all the others. And so in that, I see this beast even more 
like the beast in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, this beast, is quite different. It takes on aspects of the three beasts that Daniel talks about, but they're all in one beast. And I say to you today that I believe that those are things that this beast uh, has that are like these nations as they come now in the book of Revelation, and even Rome partly had this, and but... In the book of Revelation, and in that time, this beast is going to fulfill it all the way. This, the beast, when we think of a beast, we think of power. Especially the type of beast that they, they, they liken these nations to and such. We think of a, something of power and, de, and can destroy and devour. The beast of the book of Revelation has the body of a leopard. And I look at leopards, and I've been studying some on leopards recently. One book I'm reading talks about how leopards were actually used back in the, in the time of, say, Noah and all that. They would actually take leopards and train them like we train dogs today for hunting. Or like they take falcons and train a falcon to go after other birds. They trained leopards to do that. They could take them out, release them, and that leopard would chase down the game, take it down, and hold it for the hunter to come and get. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. I was like, man, why why, why can't I have a leopard today? Amen? But leopards, because of that, because men were able to take them and bring them into a, a, a submission to man and his will for a while, you see a lot of pictures, uh, ancient hieroglyphics and stuff, where they're wearing robes that have leopard skin. And it's talking about uh, this dominion and this power to be able to do this with leopards. But when I think of a leopard, I think of this, somebody who's driven. You think of a leopard, I mean, they're, they're one of the fastest beasts on the, on the earth. Uh, and, you know, che- a cheetah would be considered part of the leopard family there. They're one of the fastest animals. They're, they, they are, uh, they're, you can't waver them. When they're on target, man, they go for it with everything they've got until they take it down. And, uh, in fact, when, you know, they've got all these people today that are very big into the spirit animals, right? What's your spirit animal? <laughs> so as I was studying things about leopards, of course, that's going to come up on the Internet, what, uh, the spirit animals. And, and the thing with the leopards is this thing of purpose and and the ability to keep on your purpose and so i call that driven now this nation or this this uh beast in the book of revelation is a driven beast this beast wants power and we'll get more into that here in a minute the feet of a bear the bible says is what this beast has and i believe this is speaking to us of the power of destruction when you think of a bear uh, how many of us have ever seen the pictures where the hunter has a bear? And what, what's one of the biggest things a hunter wants a picture of when they've killed their bear? They want it of its paw. How big that paw was. Why? Because the paw of a bear is what the bear uses to destroy its prey. It doesn't use its mouth near as much as it uses its paws and the power in them to crush and to tear with those big long claws they got on there. So I believe that the feet of a bear is speaking to us of a power of destruction. And then we see the mouth of a lion. And whereas a lion too could use its paws in many ways, a lion is more known for the power in its mouth. 
and how the, one of the things of a lion is to get in and get a hold of the throat of their prey with their mouth and crush it. And this is speaking, I believe, of the devouring power of this beast. And so we move on from the beast and the power that is seen that this beast has and wants. And we see the sea that it comes out of. Now, in the Bible, a sea and the ocean are, are often referring to nations and peoples, the multitudes of nations and peoples. And I say that that's what this sea is referring to, is the multitudes of peoples that out there, this beast is going to rise up. Now, this beast, as we all know, is the Antichrist. When he rises up, the Bible talks of many things about basically he's going to kind of come out of nowhere. He's going to be a no-name for the most part or somebody who might have been known but just wasn't never seen as a world leader per se. And he's going to come up. And so this thing of not knowing where he's going to come from. Now, we'll get more into a little bit to some of those things. And as we continue on in our studies through Revelation, I, again, I say I believe from different parts the Antichrist is a Jew. Uh, else, how could he ever refer to himself as the Christ to the Jews? They would never accept a non-Jewish Christ. Amen. But uh, in that, uh, he, he's coming out of the seas of the people. He has seven heads. These seven heads are princes, I believe, that, uh, that are part of the power of the Antichrist and will give their power. Uh, the horns and the crowns are ten provinces. We've heard tell of the ten-nation confederation that will take place, and that's referring to that. But then you see the name that is across those heads, and it is the name of blasphemy. And I believe this name is referring to his purpose. The purpose of the Antichrist. Again, I call him the beast of profanity. Why is that? Throughout all ten verses that we read, what, what's the word that we see over and over again? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. And so that is his purpose. We move to the influence of this beast in verse 2. It says, And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. We know that this dragon is the dragon of chapter 12. And this is the devil, Satan, old Slewfoot. He is the one that is the influence behind this beast. He is the one, the Bible says here, that gave him his power, his, uh, his, his authority amongst men. We see that he gave him his seat or his position, his place of authority amongst men. And then it says, and great authority. This authority is prestige among men. When you look at this man, again, this guy is going to have a power and position and prestige that no other man, I believe, in, a, in, in history has ever enjoyed. This man's going to have this because the devil is behind him pushing it. We move on, verse 3 and 4, the illusion. Part of the reason he will be able to have so much power and position and prestige is because of the illusion that will be given of death. Look at verse 3 and 4. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? I say here the illusion of prevailing. You know, there's only been one man who's ever conquered death. That's the man Christ Jesus. 
And yet this man is going to try to make out that he has conquered death. I mean, we've talked about it with Jesus. We, Brother Ben has talked about how before getting saved, he had such a fear of dying after salvation. There's no fear of dying anymore. That is the fear of man. The man has continuously, for all of creation time, tried to find ways to conquer death, to outdo death, to escape death. That's the, might I say, the premier uh, example of power. Now look at what it says. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. It didn't say that was wounded to death, as it were wounded to death. I believe he's going to put on an illusion that he has been killed, but then through his own power, He's going to rise from the grave. I mean, how can, how can he not do this? How can he not give this illusion and be the antichrist? Amen? To, to, to try to simulate the Christ. And so, but it's illusion. There's a lot of people that believe he's actually going to be killed and then brought back to life. If that's so, then the devil has power to conquer death too. Now, he is in control of death, but can he can conquer death. I think only one can do that. That's Jesus. And so he's going to have this illusion of prevailing over death. But in verse 4 we see he's also going to have the illusion of providence. They're going to worship him as God. And it's all because of the illusion of prevailing over death. I mean, before he was this great man that all the world went after and, oh, he's got all the answers to our problems and all this. But now it's taken it a step further. Now he's God. He is God amongst us. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, men didn't readily accept him. I mean, they followed him. But what was the main reason of following? The signs and the wonders. The miracles. The feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 4,000. Not the 7,000. Amen. And, and, and all these things that Jesus did, that was the main reason people followed him. When he died, there was only a small group of people that stuck with him. When he was actually taken away, there was only two that followed him. One denying him as he followed him, but only two that followed him. At the cross, all there is is his mother and a couple other women and John. That's it. Everybody else had left. But look how readily the world accepts this man as God. You know, there's a lot that could be said about the fact that Christianity has swept the world. The world knows of Christ. The world knows of his conquering of death. And though much of the world will profess that they know Christ, they don't. Many of them, though they will profess to be Christians, they really don't believe. Why? Because they've never seen him. To see is to believe, people say. People want things that are tangible. They want to be able to touch. They've never been able to touch the Son of God. Here's somebody that they're going to be able to see. They're going to be able to touch. 
And now all of a sudden, it's going to be real easy to say, oh, well, this is the Christ we were always told about. I mean, we, you know, we, they told us he came back then, but he's here now. And they will worship him. Notice when it says that they worship the beast or the, uh, the uh, dragon. I don't know for sure, but I just have a sense as I read this that this is not a, uh, an outward worship. That this is more of a, they're worshiping the dragon because they're worshiping the beast. I mean, people don't realize often. You know, when somebody bows to Buddha, they're worshiping Buddha on the outside. But literally, they're worshiping the dragon. When they worship on Sunday and down at the local quote-unquote church house and they're saying that they're worshiping Jesus, but he's not the Jesus of the Bible. Oh, they worship in their minds Jesus, but in their hearts, really, it's the devil that they're worshiping. They're worshiping a false Jesus. So whether this is an outward, they totally see the dragon, totally understand it, and they're worshiping him or not, I just, from when I read this, that's just the sense I keep getting, that this is not necessarily an outward worship, but it's more of a worship because they're worshiping the beast. They actually are intent worshiping the dragon, the illusion. Verse 5 through 6, we see the indignity. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. The indignity. We see the period of the indignity is three and a half years. Three and a half years. Now this is, of course, the, the Antichrist, I believe, comes up very quickly at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. But it's in the second half of that tribulation where he really comes into power where he comes and sets himself on the throne in the, in the temple. People are worshiping him and all that. So I believe this is the second half of the tribulation that this is referring to. But notice the person that he is being indignant to or blaspheming to. It is God. Again, you have people that say they believe in God. That they love God. That they worship God. We also understand, as we've seen already, the Catholic Church and her place amongst all of this as at least the beginning of the one world religion, whether she comes truly the fruition of that or if it's something else, as I, I've been thinking that might be that uh, she just begins it and then the, when the false prophet comes on, he knocks them aside and takes over and establishes something that's just totally off uh, our scope of understanding even. But in that... There's people all over this world that are not saved, that aren't going to heaven in the rapture. And at this time, this man is blaspheming God, and they're okay with it. Even though they've said they love God, and they believe in God, and all these other things. The power that he is blaspheming, it says that he blasphemed his name. The name of God. What is the name of God? God, of course, in the Bible gives us many different names. But what was the name when Moses said, Who should I say sends me? I am. 
Now, I am is the name that God said he wanted to be known by at that time. Why? Because it helps us to understand the fact that he don't need us. He's the self-sufficient one. He is the one that can do all on his own. He's the one that has it all under control. He's the one that can take care of the problems. He's the one that can uh, take care of the people. He's the one that can take care of it all. This man is going to blaspheme the name of God. And I believe that means he's blaspheming the power of God. Then we see the place that he blasphemes, the tabernacle. Now again, remember, we are after the rapture here. The churches have nothing to do with this stuff. We're gone. Amen. We're we're up in heaven. We are either in the midst of our judgment or getting towards the end of it. And we're having a good time rejoicing around the throne, getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But in that, there's a tabernacle that's being blasphemed. What is this talking about? Well, remember the focus of the book of Revelation is the Jewish people. And remember, there is a temple that will be reestablished. And the tabernacle can often be, the word tabernacle can be used to refer to the temple. The place where they go to meet with God. And he says he blasphemes the tabernacle. Now, this could be by word, but we also know it's the fact that he goes and he actually sits himself up in the temple to be worshipped as God. And then we see the people that he blasphemes. The Bible there says... uh, that he blasphemed, verse 8, or I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, where am I at? Verse 6, them that dwell in heaven. Now there's two thoughts that I have on this. First of all, the the beast, he's, he's being controlled by the devil. And just as much as the devil hates us, who are already gone off this earth at this time, and we are in heaven, He could be blaspheming us, but why? Why? I submit to you that I I believe that he's blaspheming, as we will see, he, he comes against the people of God that are on the earth at that time, that in this 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 uh phrase, them that dwell in heaven, he's speaking of the people that are still on earth that have gotten saved during the tribulation. Why? Are we not already seated in heavenly places when we get saved? That's our dwelling place already. That is our home. And and I'll tell you what, you know, as much as we, when things are, especially when things are going bad in this world, amen, do we not in times like this really start to dwell in our mind in heaven? We start thinking thoughts like, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Oh, Lord, when are you coming? I'm so sick and tired of this world. Oh, Lord, I'm ready to go to heaven. How much more do you think they're thinking about it? When every day their life is on the line. I think in many ways you could say they're the ones that are dwelling in heaven. Their thoughts are there. They've already been seated in their heavenly place. As the song sang, the boys sang the other night, they're just waiting for their body to leave here and go. Amen? (laughs) Think about that for a moment. These people that they come against, the saints, in verse 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints. 
Again, the word saints is often, more often used referring to the nation of Israel than it is to Christians, even though it is used to refer to Christians many times. But these people are Israelites that have become Christians majority-wise. I believe there will be Gentiles saved during that time, but I believe the majority, and it's even going to be slight, though, even of that, but will be Jewish people. The 144,000 are, I believe, part of the makeup of this, and uh, they're all Jewish men, and their primary mission is to get the gospel to Jewish people at this time. And so we see in verses 7 and 8 the intention He says, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The intention of the Antichrist or the beast is, first of all, he wants to prevail. Think about this. Again, the devil is using him as his pawn in this grand scheme of his. What's been the grand scheme of the devil all along? To take God's position. I mean, he's already been kicked out of heaven in the fact that he's, he no longer abides there at all times. He's still allowed to come up and he accuses us every day, but he's, he's been not allowed to abide there. But then we saw just here in chapter 12 where the final war, as far as heaven's concerned, happens and he is kicked out to the earth for uh, the rest of the time that's left him until he's destroyed in the lake of fire. So the Antichrist has a desire to prevail over God's people. But this desire is not so much his as it is the devil's. He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy. And since he can't do this to God, what's his target been since Adam and Eve? Man. He not only wants to prevail, but he wants power. It says there that power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Of course, this is speaking even greater power than what he had just earlier in verse 1 and 2. And of course, Satan has desired power. He's got so much power already, but it's just not enough. You know, power to the devil is like money to millionaires. Just one dollar more. That's all I need, just one dollar more. Once I get that, it just need one dollar more. Satan just wants just one more life to be mine. That's not enough. I just one more. Just one more. I just need one more nation to come under my control. Just one more. He desires power. This is the intent of the Antichrist for the devil. And then look at that. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The final intention of the beast for the devil is prostration. The devil has wanted worship since he went against God. He continues to try to work that worship. I mean, he's got who knows how many millions of people that are literal devil worshipers on this earth. Then you have all these people that just like these folks here that as far as what I can see it and how I'm I'm seeing that in these verses, they're worshiping the beast, but in reality they're worshiping the dragon. He's got that all over this world. People worshiping false gods that they think are God, but 
They're really worshiping the dragon, the devil. But it's just not enough. He wants an open, he wants a complete worship given to him. Again, he can't take any of this from God. So he attacks the saints in his drive to get all of this. Why? Because the saints are the only wall of defense between people and the devil. We, you know, in this time, I, I, we're talking, we're in the last half here. So I believe that we're seeing even fewer people than we're in the first half getting saved. There's less and less. Why? Because, one, they're seeing if you get saved, you're going to die. You follow these Christian people, you're going to die. And so multitudes of these people aren't going to follow that. Secondly, multitudes of them have already taken the number. And because of that, they cannot be saved. But in that, an application for us today is you and I are that wall of defense today between the devil and the people. That's the per- one of the purposes God left us on this earth for. Is for us to stand between them and the devil and to fight for them. I've said it before, how do we fight for them? I mean, they don't know they need to fight. They're, they're, they're oblivious to all of this. Prayer. Prayer. That, there's that old song about building a wall of faith. How? Through prayer. Through prayer. Now, your prayer cannot save a person, but your prayer can tear down strongholds Your prayers can open blinded eyes. Your prayer can help the gospel to get watered. You and I are the ones standing in between them and the saints of the tribulation time are the saints standing in between these people and the devil. Lastly, I want us to look at verse 9 and 10 and see the incentive. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now this verse has often been misused. You know, you hear that people say all the time, for somebody who believes in self-defense and carrying a gun and all that, hey, those that live by the sword will die by the sword. Totally out of context. When I say it's the incentive, it's not the incentive of the beast. It's not the incentive of the devil. These two verses show us the incentive of the saints. You know, the devil, the beast at this time, the workers of evil, payday's coming someday. And though I do not desire any man to die and go to hell, at the same time, it it brings me much hope, much rest in my heart as we look around and see all these wicked people doing such wicked things and there seems like there's no control, like there's no stopping them. One day they will be stopped. 
One day, payday will come. And when it says, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity, he that killed with the sword must be killed with the sword, in the context, he's talking about the beast. He has led many people into captivity. But he's going to get his captivity. He has killed many people with the sword. I believe this might give us an inclination of how the beast dies with a sword. But this is speaking of the beast. And notice he says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Folks, I know again that these verses primarily do not refer to us. We're gone, we're out of this earth well before this time. Praise the Lord for that. But an application we can take from it. Just like he says, for those saints at that time, it is the patience and faith of the saints. You and I can take application in our life and let it be the patience and faith of us. We too often get depressed, get worried, get downhearted. Why? Because we can't control what's going on. I know I do. There are times I can get downright just plump fed up. And if it wasn't for the Lord in my life, I probably would have gone down and started just shooting people. Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's just when you got people running around burning, you know, your flag and you got people cursing, you know, the 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 constitution, all these type of things, then they're doing things against God on top of that. He can make a red-blooded American a little perturbed, amen? But what always puts me in check is that though there might be a day where I have to fight for freedom, God will show that day if it's to come. But I don't need to get, get, let it get me all worked up. I don't need to get worried about it. I don't need to get depressed over it. I don't need to get troubled over it. Because God is still in control. Put yourself in the saints of the tribulation time frame shoes. You and I have not seen it bad. You and I have not suffered anything for Christ. There might come a day when we suffer a little bit, but I'll still say it won't be anything like these people will have suffered. And God says, it's the patience and faith of those saints. I say it can be the patience and faith of the saints today as well. We need to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we just need to remember, God's in control. No matter what goes on in this world, whether, whether we ever have to do anything to try to save what little bit of freedoms we have or whether the Lord's just going to let it come sweeping through and we lose it all and we go into persecution or whether the rapture happens and we're gone before all that happens. The Lord's in control. And we can know righteousness and justice will reign. Even though we can't see it right now, it does reign. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we think of these things that 
Lord, you would help us to realize that we have an enemy that is powerful. And he's hungry for more power. God, we need to stand up to him in these days. We need to fight that fight of faith. Part of that fight is to remember that you are in control. We don't need to let down our shield of faith and worry about things that are going on. We need to keep in the fight. One day, you will make all things right. Lord, we thank you that you've told us these things in your word. We're thankful that you have revealed them to us that we might know. And through knowing, we might have that faith to trust you. Lord, I pray that you would reign in our hearts and help us to give our lives to you in these last days. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name.